Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, today is a special day. It's, uh, it's my Rebbe's uh, yurt site. This is the, the anniversary of the day that he, he left the world. Um, Reb, uh, Shlomo Karlbach, Shlomo ben Naftali, is Neshama Shedav and Aliyah. And um, so, so, uh, so, you know, I, I just want to say w- one word about him, and, and then we'll, we'll go into today's uh, talk. But we had a little very, very informal uh, gathering at the, at the Happy Minion last night, and, um, and I just kind of shared this idea, which is, I remember, I think I, I learned it from him, there was a... There's a famous chapter in, in, in Hasidic history um, where one of sort of the, the great shining stars, one of the rising stars in the Torah world, who became a Torah giant himself, um, his name was Reb Lebele Eger. And he came from a, a, a very anti-Hasidic um, background. Um, but they were, you know, great, great lions of Torah. His grandfather was Rabbi Akiva Eger, who's compared to the Vilna Gon, was, you know, one of the greatest uh, commentators of the last several hundred years. And so this was his grandson, and he also was a very, very, very great uh, Torah scholar. Um, but they were, they, they were not only not in the Hasidic movement, they were very much against the Hasidic movement. And Reb Leibola Eger went and he joined it. So in, in, in the Jewish world at that time, that was really like headline news, you know? And the, the, the dynasty that he was drawn to and that he joined was that of Kotsk. And so, um, so, so there's a famous letter that the Kotska Rebbe wrote to um, Reb Leibola Eger's father. Just, I guess, trying, trying to explain or trying to console, I don't know what it was, whatever the intent was. And he, he wrote to his father, he said, um, I'm paraphrasing, he said, your job was to bring him into this world and my job uh, is to bring him into the next world. And so when I think of Reb Shlomo and his role in my life, I, I, I feel, you know, the same way. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's go into today's uh, talk. I, I had a, a very, very, um, for me, uh, a very interesting walk to shul yesterday. And I had a conversation with myself, and um, I want to report <laughs> this conversation. <laughs> so, 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 um, but let me just uh, introduce it in the following way, um, which is that um, I, I read about Rebbe Nachman of Breslov, that he was, when he was younger, he would go into like a small shul, and he would be alone in the shul, and he would go to give tzedakah, but there were certain prayers that he would say before he put some money in the, in the, in the pushka, in the charity box. And so he'd say these prayers, and I think that they were lengthy prayers, and then he'd give the tzedakah. And then he'd turn around and he'd start to walk out of the shul, and then all of a sudden he would, quote-unquote, remember, ah, oh, I have another coin, <laughs> right? And so he'd turn around, and he'd go, and he'd say all the prayers again, and he'd give the tzedakah again. And then he'd go to walk out of the shul. And then he'd all of a sudden remember, oh, I have one more coin. And he'd turn around. And he, he did this on purpose. It was, the way it was explained was there was a certain playfulness to it. A playfulness in terms of his relationship with God that, that he invested in it. And so, so, so 
this I always made a very big impression on me because sometimes um, sometimes people have this sort of like very deadly serious relationship with with God, and and it's not necessarily productive. It it, it can be crippling even, and so one has to have the proper respect and the proper what we call yira. That's necessary. But at the same time, one also has to invest it with a level of love and friendship and spontaneity. You know, because God is simultaneously working within so many different paradigms, including being your best friend. You know, so, so there has to be that level of spontaneity as well. And so that, that, that's an example of it. So, so with that in mind, there's, um, I'll, I'll get back to the walk to shul now. There's, there's, again, I'll, I'll just give a, a secondary level of introduction to this, which is that um, there's a concept when you do a mitzvah that you do it with your right hand. Okay, so for instance, if you're going to um, give tzedakah, you give tzedakah with your right hand. If you're uh, going, going to make a blessing on a piece of, say, an apple, you hold it in your right hand. When you put on your socks and shoes, um, you begin by putting it on your right foot. Right, so actually you alternate, but you put your right sock on first, and then your left sock, and then your right sock, and then your, I mean, then your right shoe, then your left shoe. Then actually you tie your left shoe, and then your right shoe. But anyway, you begin the process with, with the right sock. And so, so there's, in, in, in many, there are many different examples where, where the right, you, you, you initiate a mitzvah with, with the right side. Now, you might ask, what if I'm a lefty? So there's a whole separate set of halachas if you're a lefty. <laughs> and sometimes you do your left hand. So I'll just, not to confuse the topic, but just to give you an example. You're, you're supposed to put um, your tefillin for the men on your weaker arm. So for most men, that would be their left arm, because most people are righties. So you put it on your left arm. However, if you're a lefty, you put it on your right arm, since that's your weaker arm. So, so sometimes, sometimes there's a concept that you want to lead from a position of strength. So if you're a lefty, then the most sort of like, um, uh, the greatest expression of praise is to do it from your point of strength, which would be from your left hand, from your left side, right? But in general, the, the, all things being equal, you do it with your right hand. And... Um, <clears throat> And this has sort of a, 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 a mystical parallel, which is that the right side stands for chesed, and the left side stands for gvura, or din, or judgment. So, so right is more um, emphasizing kindness, and, and so that's why, you know, all things being equal, we want to lead with the right. Okay, so now with this in mind, um, normally speaking, I'll, I'll take my talus, uh, to shul, Shabbos morning, we have an Erev, so, so I'll take my talus bag, and, uh, and that's, usually, that's usually the only thing I walk to shul with, but it happened to be that, that uh, yesterday, I wanted to also take a, a Torah book with me. It was a, a chumash um, of breishis. So, I picked them both up. Now, when it comes to carrying something like this, I don't as far as I know, there's no halacha. You can carry it in either hand. It doesn't really matter. You're not making a blessing over it or anything like that. But this is why I, I told you the Rebbe Nachman story. To me, it was always, I just felt like it was just a sweet thing. If I'm going to do something special, let me do it with my right hand. 
just all things being equal. So that's, again, just like a little tiny thing, but just it was a way for me to express a, a love for God. So in, in, a, in a very small area. Okay. So I, I, I picked up the, uh, the uh, Talos bag and the, and the, and the Torah book, and, and I started walking with them, holding them both in my right hand. And I started walking to shul. And then I thought to myself, you know, really I should have one in my right hand and one in my left hand. <laughs> now again, I just, before, this is now going to become a very winding dialogue, so I just want to introduce it one more time by, by telling you that what you're about to hear is not an act of neurosis. This is not neurosis going on. <laughs> People, um, unfortunately, for better or for worse, um, sometimes religiosity uh, is, becomes best friends with neurotic behavior. And, and so one really has to distinguish between the two of those things. So I, I'm not talking about that right now. I'm just talking about what was the most beautiful way to hold these things. That's the only thing that I was talking about. It wasn't coming from any sort of driving compulsion or something like this. It was just, I was just wanted to do something beautiful to, for God, right? Okay. So, so I'm walking with these, with my talis and my, my chumash, my Torah book, holding them both on my right side. And I thought, you know, really, one should be on my right side and one should be on my left side. And then I had to figure out, well, which one am I going to hold on my right side, which would be, you know, the more, the more priority one, the more special one of the two, and one would be on my left side. So I thought, well, wait a second. I should keep the Torah book. This is a, an edition of the Torah, the first book of the Torah anyway. That should be on my right side. And, I, and a proof came to me like right away, which is that we, we, we go through um, different, uh, different things in the, in the morning prayers. And um, there's, a very beautiful, there's a very beautiful Mishnah. And, and it says, uh, <clears throat> it says that there are certain, actually it's a, in the Talmud, I'm sorry, it says Shabbos, uh, Masechta Shabbos 127a. So if you want to look it up. Um, and in general, we say that all of our reward is actually saved up for the next world. That's actually the Jewish point of view. So if you're wondering where, I did such a good thing, where's my, where's my reward? So the, the really, the, the most basic meat and potatoes answer is everything is saved up for us in the next world. However, you do have this concept, and every once in a while you see it sort of cryptically referred to in like different kavanas of please God grant me that I should be at both tables. And when you see that little um, cryptic reference, what that means is, is that one should be able to have a, uh, all sort of like all the wonderful things in this world and the next world. So in other words, that's the table in this world and the table in the next world. Bless you. So, so, so that's, that's this concept of two tables. But, but the Talmud over here in Shabbos goes a little bit further. It says that, you know, sometimes there are certain categories of mitzvahs where the capital is preserved in the next world and yet you can get it in this world also without drawing on the capital. In other words, you're not reducing your reward in the next world. You're receiving it 
100% in the next world, and you're getting it in this world as well. So that's, 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 a, that's a great situation. And they name those mitzvahs. So we'll go through them in a moment. But, um, and this is especially interesting because we do have the concept. See, it's, it's one answer to a very naughty theological problem, and we, we, we won't go into it because it's, 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 a, it's very long and involved. And in fact, ultimately, the rabbis say, there is no answer to this question. And then they'll give you several hundred answers. But, but which is, why would the wicked prosper in this world? One answer, though, that's given is that all of the reward that they have built up, because it's very hard to go through life without doing something right. You know, that's the good news, you know. In fact, um, the, the Rambam actually brings that as, a, like an, as, an official, as one official explanation of why there's 613 mitzvahs. So that it's impossible not to do something right. <laughs> and that's just one explanation why we have so many mitzvahs. But anyway, that aside, so everyone is doing something right, whether they want to or not. And so one of the explanations of why the wicked prosper is that they're receiving the reward from the next world right now. But that's actually, well, that sounds maybe kind of good. In their case, it's actually kind of scary because they're essentially being cashed out of heaven. In other words, they're being kicked out, but they're re so, they're, so their presence in the next world, their reward, so to speak, is being pushed to this world, but also their occupancy in that realm as well. So... But here's the happy version of this, where you get it in this world and you still keep it in the next world. So what are these mitzvahs? And by the way, we're still talking about the walk to shul, so don't think we changed topics. <laughs> the, the honor due father and mother, acts of kindness, early attendance at the house of study, morning and evening, hospitality to guests, visiting the sick, providing for a bride, escorting the dead, absorption in prayer, bringing peace between man and his fellow. Okay, so, so I heard Rabbi Tatz point out something very beautiful, which is that if you look at sort of the common denominator there, almost all those deal with what we call the category of mitzvahs, Adam lechavero, meaning to say a, between two people. So we have two main categories of mitzvahs. There, there are different ways to organize the mitzvahs, but one way is to say, that they're the person-to-God mitzvahs and the person-to-person -person mitzvahs. And you see that all the ones where you receive your reward in this world and it doesn't affect your reward in the next world are virtually all person-to-person -person mitzvahs. Now, now, here's a beautiful thought. So Rabbi Tatz explained it like this. So, but wait, I thought all of our reward is actually saved up for us in the next world. So he says, when you do this beautiful thing between two people, what you're actually doing is bringing heaven down to earth. And now that heaven is down to earth, there's no contradiction to, for getting your heavenly reward right now, because you've turned earth into heaven. So why shouldn't you get your reward right now? Right now you're in heaven. So that's, a, that's a, I think, a, a very compelling idea. What mitzvahs are capable of doing in terms of putting us in sync and in harmony with each other that really brings down this, this, this light from the next world right, right in the moment. Okay. Now, I didn't read you the very last line, but this is why I got on this whole topic to begin with, which is the final thing that it says is, and the study of Torah is equivalent to them all. Right? In Hebrew, we say, Torah kulam. 
So, so, so I thought to myself, okay, if the study of Torah is equivalent to them all, then for sure in my right hand I'll hold the Torah book, and then I'll, I'll move the talus to my left hand. But then I remembered, wait a second, by the talus, by the tzitzit, the rabbis teach the following thing. Tzitzit, the word tzitzit, is a very old teaching, is the gematria 600, that's for tzitzit, and then on one strand there's five knots, that brings it to 605, and eight strings, that brings it up to 613. So they say that a talus correlates with all 613 mitzvot. So I thought, okay, so I'm back to square one. <laughs> we've, got, we've got the Torah book, which is equivalent to all the mitzvahs, but the talus is also equivalent, you see, to all the mitzvahs on this level anyway. So I thought, okay, so, so I don't know. I, I still have them both in my right hand. I don't know which one to switch over to my left hand. So I continue to walk. And then I think, well, wait a second. It says really that learning, you learn Torah, that the learning of Torah is for the purpose of performing mitzvot. So you learn in order to do. Okay? So if that's the case, if you learn in order to do, then the Torah book just stands for learning. But the talis is a practical mitzvah. That's something that you do. So therefore the talis has to be higher than the Torah book. So I should really hold the talus in my right hand and switch the Torah book to my left hand. But then I remembered that the act of Torah study is an action in and of itself. It's not just learning in order to do, but the act of learning the, of, the, of Torah is actually doing a mitzvah also. It's actually the performance of a mitzvah as well. So now we were back to square one again because they both stood for doing mitzvahs. Okay. So now, <laughs> now I thought, so therefore, if the Torah book stands for learning and doing, and the talus is just for doing, now I'm satisfied. I'm going to hold the Torah book in my right hand, and I'm going to switch the talus and carry it in my left hand. So that's what I did. So I walked with the Torah book in my right hand and the talus in my left hand. And I took a few steps, and then I thought to myself, but wait a second, why do I have to have anything in my left hand at all? Why not put them both in my right hand? And then I had a proof for why you should put them both in your right hand, which is in the Az Yashir, in the song that we sang after we crossed um, the Red Sea, there's a, a very interesting uh, verse. It says, your right hand, Hashem, is adorned with strength. Your right hand, Hashem, smashes the enemy. So the commentators point out the fact that there's no reference to the left hand here. It's just two right hands. So I thought, okay, so why do I have to have anything in my left hand at all? I'll just put them both in my right hand. So I took the talus and I switched it over to my right hand. And I was very happy. I had the chumash in my right hand and the talus in my right hand. But then I remember the Sfasemis' explanation of this verse, which is relating to Hanukkah. By Hanukkah, one of the classic ways of lighting the menorah, we don't really do it today like this, 
But back in the day, this is kind of was standard fare. You would put the, the menorah in the doorway on the left side of the doorway. On the left side. Okay? And so the idea was that you had the mezuzah on the right side and you had the menorah on the left side. And that way you'd be surrounded by mitzvahs. Okay? And some people still do that. I was by the Umshin of a Rebbe, I guess 23 years ago. I know because I'm married 22 years and I asked him for a bracha to get married. So, <laughs> <laughs> And the Umshin of a Rebbe lit by his doorway. Um, many people still do. But this Fas Emes, when he's talking about how you're putting the menorah on the left side and the mezuzah on the right side, he mentions this verse, which is that because really you're supposed to do everything on the right side, right? That's what we said. But this verse, your right hand, Hashem, is adorned with strength. Your right hand smashes the enemy. So what he said is that when you do mitzvahs with the left side, you turn the left side into the right side. Okay? So then I thought, oh, okay. So this isn't just talking about two right hands. What he's talking about is the transformation of the left hand into the right hand, which is a very deep concept that, like, you know, like once you get into this, you're getting into Rebbe territory, but all of us have to be Rebbe's today, right? So, so this is a kavana to have. It's a concept called sweetening the din. Din means judgment. And one of the things that you want to pray just for each other and for the world and everything like that is that you know, there's like certain times when like hard times, God forbid, come on the world. We say that this is a time of din. This is a time of judgment from God. And so we really try to focus and we, we pray that God, we should, that God should sweeten the din, right? So that's the concept of turning the left side, which stands for gvura or din, into the right side. So the Svasemis is showing that when you're doing mitzvahs with the left side, you're turning the left side into the right side, and that's why there's the reference here to the two right hands of God, right? So I thought of, wow. So now I was very happy. I took the chumash in my right hand, and I took the talus in my left hand, but now I understood that I was walking with them both in my right hand, because the left had been transformed into the right. And then I got to shul. <laughs> now, you think the story's over. Now I'm going to tell you something absolutely crazy, okay? Something wild. So I, I, I gave this over. I, we have a little kind of little talk before, before the morning prayers on Shabbos. So I, I gave over uh, what I just shared with you. And then, um, you know... We, we have our, our chazan, and uh, he's the prayer leader, and he has a little boy, and he sits him by the, by the bima, you know, where, where the prayers are, are said from. And this sweet little boy, who's three years old, oftentimes, like every week basically, mm -hmm. you know, he has snacks and candy and things like that to just sort of keep him quiet and entertained. So he does something. He takes some... Um, one of these long strips of 
They, they call them like fruit roll-ups, if you're familiar with that, right? So it's like a, a long strip of basically candy. Um, and he wraps it around his finger in a ball. And then he kind of turns his finger into a lollipop, right? And I never really paid attention to this, but he always puts it on his right hand. That I, if you would ask me which hand he puts it on, I, I couldn't tell you. But I'm telling you now, it's always on his right hand. And now, for the first time, as far as I know, maybe he did it before, I don't know, but as far as I know, for the first time ever, after I just shared with you what I shared with you about sweetening the din, turning the left side into the right side, making the left side sweet, he then took a second fruit roll-up and he wrapped it around his left hand so that, so that his left hand and his right hand were the same. And there was sweetness on both. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, I can't believe this, you know. He found a way to say the talk over much faster than I did. <laughs> this is incredible. This is, this is exactly what we were just learning. It's exactly what we were just learning. Now, when you see something like that, you know, there's a whole range of emotions that, that, that I'll just speak for myself, goes through me. You know, one is just how close God is, right? Just how much attention God is paying to us. And, and that's a, a very warm and kind of beautiful feeling when you, when you realize how close God is. And, and, and I want to share with you something else. And this is something that... I thought many years about, and we, we've discussed every now and then, but I, I just want to review it because I think it's an important idea for us to walk around with, which is what do you do when you experience a level of coincidence like this, quote unquote coincidence? How are you supposed to process it? Because most people, they're just so blown away in the moment by the coincidence that they, they just go, what are the odds? Or like, really? And then they don't, they don't, they don't understand how to process it. Process it. So I, I just want to give you my, my best um, advice on that and, and my understanding. And like I say, I worked many years to, to, to arrive at what I'm about to share. So, so I, it, says, um, it says in Perke Avos, there's a Mishnah that says, that um, and I'm paraphrasing right now, but that when that it's it's one level um, that we're God's children, but it's an entirely higher level that God informs us that we're His children, and there are verses that talk about how we're God's children. So in other words, it's like you can have a relationship with someone and you can feel a certain way about someone, but if you let them know that, that's an entirely different relationship. So I once heard, it's an English expression, but I once heard that um, coincidences are God's way of waving hello to us, to, show, to sh showing us that he's there. But I always had a little bit of trouble processing that idea, which sounds good, um, because God is constantly there no matter what. So then what does that mean that he's waving to us? Isn't he, so to speak, always waving to us? 
And then when I learned that Mishnah in this context, that it's a whole nother level for God to inform us. So I realized it's true that God is always there and he is always with us. But when these coincidences happen, God, so to speak, is going out of his way to show us that he's there. And that's a much higher level. So if God is going out of his way at certain occasions in our lives to show us that he's there, that must mean that that's, in Torah, we call it an ace ratzon, a time of closeness. So if it's a, a, an opportune time, if the gates are open, and ace ratzon means the gates of heaven are open at that moment, then if that's the case, you have to pray. Because if God is going out of his way to show you that he's close to you at that moment, that means that forever, for whatever reason, at that moment you've found some sort of favor in God's eyes or God is, is just showing you that, that he's close, then you have to take advantage of those moments by praying. Because why would you want to lose an opportunity when Hashem is going out of his way to show you how close he is to you? So, so, so that's the take home from this. If you, if you experience any of these things in your life, remember to pray. pray. Pray for your needs, pray for your friends' needs, pray for the world's needs, and everything like that. And, you know, we, we, we have different categories, and everyone should know these categories in their mind, because it's very important that you have people in each of these categories, and that you can rifle through these names in each of the categories at any given moment. It's, it's, it's very important. So these categories are health. You know, all of us know people who can use uh, better health. Parnosa, uh, livelihood. All of us know people who, who can use, uh, you know, help in, 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 in regard to their finances. Shaduchim. Um, again, all of us know people who are looking for husbands or wives. Um, child, children. Again, all of us know people who are trying to have children. Um, so, and then also to daven for one's Torah learning, that, that, that you should be able to have better clarity so that you can really make the most out of your life. And then, and then that's five categories. And then a sixth category is Mashiach, to, to daven for Mashiach, the fixing of the whole world. Okay. So, <clears throat> bless you. So with, so, so let's, transition to one of these categories now. So that's the end of this section. I want to now say something on this Parsha of Vayera. And yes, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Absolutely. Because why would God go out of his way to, to break, so to speak, the natural order to show you something? Um, well, I, I get the idea that he might be trying to get your attention. But normally speaking, you know, he wouldn't do it by making... Like, I'll give you just... I don't know why this pops into my head, but another coincidence that happened to me, which was that a number of years ago, um, I was, I was uh, in shul. It was uh, Friday night. And I realized, you know, wow, this is my anniversary of keeping Shabbos that uh, it happened to have been 20 years. Um, and I realized, wow, 20 years ago, this Shabbos was the first Shabbos that I fully kept. And then I did some math. I don't know, I'm probably not going to be able to do it now. Maybe one of you can, 
can do this in your head. I don't know. What's uh, 20 times 52? Does anyone know it? Say it again? 1,040. 1,040, thank you. So, so I thought, wow, that's 1,040 Shabbases that I've kept, you know, in a row. Wow. And then I realized that week I had started a new job. That week I started a new job. And the address was 1,040 North Las Palmas. <laughs> I was like, that's nuts, you know? That's nuts. Now, I don't know when you get like, like to me, I'm talking about these type of coincidences. Yeah. I don't know how that could be that you're in trouble. I don't know how to learn that from, from that expression of closeness. I, it could be that the person is in trouble, but God is reaching out to tell them that, listen, amidst your troubles, I want you to know I'm there. Because I, I can only see that as a sign of closeness. It doesn't mean the person, the person may be in trouble. But God's saying, I'm right with you. And with that in mind, just a PS, but again, another, in the name of Reb Shlomo, just an, uh, another foundation. I heard Reb Shlomo say this one time with my own ears. He said, anything you see on Shabbos is a good sign. Because every once in a while, you see some gnarly things on Shabbos, and you go, you know, what's that? What am I supposed to learn from that? Or ah. But he said, anything you see on Shabbos is a good sign. So, I, just to keep that in mind. So, so now we have, uh, we have this Parsha of healing, really. This is, I think, a, a real time of, of healing um, for all of us, God willing, because the beginning of this week's Parsha, or the Parsha that we just read, but spiritually speaking, until Tuesday night, you're, you're still within the, the getter, the, 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 the boundary, the hashpah, the, the, the outpouring of, of, of spiritual energy from the Parsha that you just read. So I know some people are like, why do you begin the week by talking about last week's Parsha? But it's still this week's Parsha. So just in case you're wondering. So anyway, so, so we talk by, we say, Vayera love Hashem Be'olone Mamre. So Hashem appeared to him, to Abraham, in the plains of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. And so we know that Hashem was coming to heal Avraham Avinu. And he was, trying, he was coming to make a sick call, um, what we call Bikr Cholim. And um, so working within this, and working within this opening phrase that I just read to you, the, um, the Imre Noam, the Jikover Rebbe, um, says something very amazing, something very beautiful. He sees um, allusions to... Uh, some teachings from the Gomorrah that are woven into this passage in a very amazing way. Um, but this is the infinity of the Torah. You know, I'm, I'm always telling this story, but just as a way of prefacing this teaching, um, I, I, I was already observant at the time, and I had already done a little bit of learning, but, but I, I attended a, a fantastic program, which I recommend to all of you if you ever get to Israel. Um, it's called Israelite. Um, I-S-R-A, Isra Light, L-I-G-H-T. I, I emphasize that because Israelite is a Christian missionary um, organization. So make sure we're spelling it right here. I-S-R-A, L-I-G-H-T, Israelite. It's a, it's a wonderful program. Um, they have something called Inward Bound, and it's, uh, 
it's just great. I would really recommend it to anyone. So anyway, Rabbi Aaron is the director, and I, I went to I went to the opening session of, of, of one of these programs, and um, it was in the old city of Jerusalem, and um, you know, he was sitting with some people, and he has a blackboard, and he says, okay, what's the Torah? And so someone raises their hand and says, a book of history. And he says, very good. And he writes down on the blackboard, a book of history. And then someone else raises their hand, and he says, go ahead. And they say, a book of laws. He goes, okay, great. And he writes down a book of laws. And then I raise my hand. He says, go ahead. I said, it's the infinite compressed into the finite. And he said, okay, let's hold off on that for a moment. <laughs> so, so anyway... But the Torah is, in fact, the infinite compressed into the finite. And so it's operating on zillions of different levels. And they're all real and they're all true. But, you know, you have to know, you know, if you want to access the more esoteric levels, you, you have to be someone who knows increasing amounts. You know, so it's, it's not accessible to everyone. But there are levels that are accessible to great people. And the Imre Noam certainly was one of these great people. So here's an example of someone who's looking into the infinity of the Torah and, and finding amazing things. Okay. So we have a principle, and it's from the Gomorrah in Nadarim, Lamed Tes, Amid Beis, which is the following. If you make a sick call um, at Bikr Cholim, if you visit the sick, by the way, before I tell you the, the principle, there's an interesting halacha that always stays with me, which is, you know what the, the best time to visit a sick person is? Is in the afternoon. And I'll tell you why. Because this is from the halacha. It says that, uh, you know, if you can't visit them any other time, you know, visit them anytime. But, but they say ideally the afternoon. Why? Because if you visit them in the morning, usually people have a lot of strength in the morning. You'll say, ah, eh, they're doing fine. I don't have to pray for them. If you visit them at night, usually people are weak, weakest at night you'll think, they're going to die anyway. Why do I have to, why, why do I have to pray for them? <laughs> but if you visit them in the afternoon, you say, okay, you know something, if he gets a little more help, uh, I can daven for him, he's going to get better. So that's, that's, that's a real teaching. Um, like I say, any time is a good time to visit, though. But, 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 but from this you see that the real essence of Bikr Holim is actually not the visit itself, but the prayer that comes with the visit. Okay, that's, that's important. So... Um, anyway, I'll tell you something, uh, tell you a story that one of these very sharp, stinging stories, really, but there was a, a, a I don't know who it was, I, I don't know who either of these people were, but um, here's an example of someone making a sick call, like not in a good way, okay? So, so someone paid a sick call to, to, to someone, I think he was a, a, a rabbi or something like this. I don't know. And this, this, the person who was sick, I guess the person who was paying the sick call was so obviously doing it to quote-unquote do a mitzvah as opposed to lend some comfort and healing to the person. And what, these, what the sick person said to this person as a rebuke was, I am not your lulav to shake. Which is, you know, that's, that's, it's, a, it's a very humbling rebuke. That sometimes, you know, sometimes someone can do a, a mitzvah or a kindness to someone else. And, and the other person is left um, feeling um, 
a little dehumanized, that somehow you are their playing field to somehow serve God with, as opposed to a human being uh, in your own right, who, who has a dignity that has to be respected. So, so anyway, that's just a, a warning to us on how to do kindness properly. But anyway, if you do it successfully, and you visit, if you, you visit someone, it says that um, you remove one-sixtieth of their illness. Okay? And this, this concept, you see this idea of one in 60, one-sixtieth, in many places in, in Jewish thought. It's a, it's a whole field in itself, but just to give you a couple of examples, um, quickly, they say that sleep is one-sixtieth of death. That's a, another one-sixtieth parallel. They say that dreaming can be one-sixtieth of prophecy, right? Um, in kashrus, if there's an impurity, like a, a, a piece of non-kosher food within the kosher food, but it's not discernible at, anymore. It's not like you can pluck it out. If you can pluck it out, you have to take it out. But if you can't pluck it out, and there's 60 times that amount in the food, then you have something called batol b'shishim. It's nullified within the 60. So this whole concept, this parallel of um, this ratio of 1 in 60 is, is many places in Torah. Um, um, so, so when you make a sick call, you remove 1 60th of the person's illness. Now, with this in mind, the, the Jikover Rebbe, the, the Imre Noam, points out some very interesting stuff. He, he draws from the, the writings or the commentaries the commentators on the writings of the Ari, and he says that there's a, a remez bezeh, there's a, there's a hint to this, in the passage in the Torah where it says, hine bin Yosef, which means, here is your son Yosef. So what's the, let's set the scene for a moment. This is toward the end of Yaakov Avinu's life, right? So Jacob, Yaakov is, is lying in bed, and he's like, these are like his last days, basically. So he's lying in bed, and Yosef, his son, Joseph, comes and he shows up and it says, he, they announce, Hine, bin Yosef, here is your son Yosef. So Hine, which is, means here is, that's the visit, that's the beaker holy call, right? Hine is the word, is the number 60. Okay? Now it says that when Yaakov heard um, these words, he strengthened himself and it says he sat uh, al hamita. He sat on the bed. So, so that was a sign that he had become strengthened, right? Because he was able to sit up on the bed, right? When Yosef came. So again, Yosef, hine, hine, right? That's the sick call. Hine means here he is. Hine is sixty, and hamita is fifty-nine. <laughs> Yaakov sat up on the bed. So here you see that one in 60 has been removed by the sick, by, by the sick call. You see how that's illustrated? Because Hine is 60, that's Yosef showing up, and Hamita was Yaakov being strengthened, that's 59. That means that one in 60 has been removed by the sick call, right? That's a, an amazing illusion, okay? But now, to take it to the whole next level, the Jikova Rebbe says, let's revisit the opening words of the, uh, the Parsha. 
Because by the way, if where what is the headquarters where we learn, you and me, where do we learn to visit the sick? From this passage right here that I'm reading it. This is this is where we learn it from. Because Hashem is making a sick call to to Avraham. So Vayera Elav Hashem Beilone Mamre. Right? Hashem appeared to him in the plains of Mamre. If you take the first letter of that phrase, the Vav from Vayera, the Aleph from Elav, the Yud from Hashem, the Beis from Be'elone, and the Mem from Mamre, it adds up to 59. (laughs) So again, here you see that 1 in 60 is taken away from, from visiting the sick. And here, of course, we're supposed to imitate God. So, so this is where we learn that we can take one in 60 away from visiting the sick. So now, I want to, uh, to go further with this idea, but this is me talking now. Um, and uh, and uh, I, I want to suggest that, that the transition from the end of last week's Parsha to the beginning of this week's Parsha, that you see something, for me, very emotional, really, and, 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 and beautiful. Now, we've talked about it. We talked about it last week. But this is one of these concepts that, you know, Reb Shlomo, Olav Shalom, um, had a concept, what he called cash Torahs. So what are cash Torahs? That means that you have to have them in your pocket at all times. That means that these are teachings that you have to you have to you have to know them, right? You can just at the drop of a hat you can just say it over, okay? So I, in my opinion, this is a cash Torah that I would like everyone to have total fluency in because it just seems to be um, you get a lot of bang for the buck with this idea because there's such a big idea compressed into something um, so so uh, accessible, and that's the idea of the of the Brit, of the Brismila, and, and as a microcosm for holding Jewish thought. Now remember, we'll explain it again in a moment, but the context is that last week's Parsha ends with Avraham circumcising himself at 99. And then it transitions to this next Parsha, right? So from Parsha to Parsha, We'll, we'll, we'll show that that's very significant, that we're entering into a new, a new Parsha, if you will, with Hashem arriving and healing us. Okay, healing Avraham. But, but let me tell you what the thought is now. You see, if you look at the complexity of human anatomy, it's so wondrous and mind-blowing that you have to ask the question, is it possible, let's just talk about a, 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 a man right now, is it possible that, or don't you think it's, it's the easiest thing in the world for God to have created a boy without that extra little piece of skin? I mean, imagine what he's accomplishing by creating a person. And there's this extra little piece of skin I mean, God couldn't have created us without that little piece of skin. So, obviously, of course he could have. Of course he could have. That would be the easiest thing in the world to do. So why does he put it there? And the answer is because to make us partners with God 
in terms of completing ourselves. Right? That's the whole idea of the passage in the beginning of the Torah. Let us create man. God is talking to each one of us that we are partners in, in, in the perfection of ourselves. But there's a deeper level to this because we know in the Talmud it says if you save one person, it's like you save the whole world. So each person is a microcosm of the entire world. In which case, the idea of the bris milah, of taking off this piece of skin, of completing the person, is not just completing the individual on the micro level, but it's completing the universe, perfecting the universe on the macro level. Because we know that this world isn't finished being created yet. And this is why we as Jews believe in evolution in the deepest way. Meaning to say that the world is still evolving toward another era, toward an era of perfection. That was, that's the destiny of the world. That's the original design of God. And we are partners with God in terms of eventualizing, if that's a word, bringing that into existence. Okay. So now, look at this beautiful thought. And how do we get there? Through the Torah, through the mitzvahs, but also, unfortunately for us, through a lot of struggles and through a lot of tests. And it's by overcoming tests and overcoming struggles that we release this amazing transcendent energy into the world, which is the currency through which God is fixing the entire world and bringing it into the year of perfection. Okay. So, so it ends, it ends, the last week's Parsha ends with Avraham, who's the prototypical human being, the, the being that God created the world for. And that's, 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 that's not just hyperbole. That's a, that's a teaching drawn from the Zohar, from the beginning of Breshis, chapter 2, verse 4, where it uses the word Behibaram. And the Zohar says, rearrange the letters, Ba'avraham, that the world was created for the sake of Avraham, meaning to say for that type of human being. So now we have last week's Parsha ending with the bris. In other words, with the culmination of that partnership, the successful culmination of that partnership. And now what's the next chapter of reality after the world itself reaches that level of completion? We enter into a new era, paralleled by the fact that we're entering into, we're going from Lech Lecha to Vayera. We're entering into a new portion of the Torah, a new era of reality. And Hashem shows up in order to heal the world. Because what is the era of perfection if it's not Hashem showing up to heal the world? And now, listen to this, because until you hear this thought, you haven't gotten it yet. You see, the, the, the blackest day, the, the, the saddest day in the Jewish year is Tisha B'Av. And that's just a, a day that's just been a, just, a, you know, just all these tragedies, the worst things have happened to us on this day throughout history. But we know that the very first Shabbos that comes after Tisha B'Av is called Shabbos Nachamu, which is the Shabbos of Consolation. And it comes from the prophet, it says, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. So this word for consolation is repeated twice. You know, you will be consoled, you will be consoled, double consolation, my, my, my people. 
So all the rabbis want to explain why is the word Nachamu repeated twice? And there are many Torahs on this. There are many teachings on this. And, but this one means the most to me, and I can't quote the source, unfortunately. But it's one of the Rebbe's. He says, you know, the first Nachamu, the first consolation, is God is telling us, you know something? Everything that you suffered, you should know in the end, was really for your benefit and for your own good. Right? Okay. But the second Nachamu is Hashem telling us, but still, I'm so sorry that you had to go through it. So that's Hashem personally consoling us and saying, I'm really sorry it was so painful. I'm really, really sorry. And so what's so special to me about this is that right after the bris of Avraham, again, you turn the page into a new portion, into a new era, because the bris of Avraham symbolizes the completion of this world. And what's the first thing that we read? Hashem is showing up to heal and to console and to make better. Now, I have to tell you something. That's my thought, for better or for worse. Now, it blew my mind because one of the deepest commentaries in the world on the Torah is someone called the, the Magali Amukos. And that means the revealer of the depths. He was the chief rabbi of Krakow about 400 years ago. Right? So I saw, after this, from the Magali Amukos, the following. He says that it says that Avraham was sitting at the entrance of his tent. That's, that's the two words after the ones that I just quoted you. It says, And he was sitting at the opening of his tent. But Yoshev, if it means present tense, should have the letter Vav in it. And for some reason, this is spelled without the letter Vav. So, of course, we know every single letter in the Torah, every single spelling and the grammatical tense, all of this are ways in which the infinite is compressed into the finite. God is, you know, for those who know how to read it, God is sending all sorts of teachings and messages in terms of the way the Torah is written. So the Magalia Muko says that, therefore, without this Vav, Yoshev, because oftentimes if you have the letter Yud in front of a word, it's talking about future tense. So really what this is saying is that he will sit. Not that he's sitting at the entrance of his tent. And it's not talking about Avraham anymore. This is the Magalia Mukos. It's talking about Hashem. And Hashem will sit at the end of days in order to welcome us. So I'm not sure how I got that this is talking about God visiting us and healing us at the end of days. But you should know that the Magalia Mukos is saying that this is talking about Hashem in the end of days sitting and healing us. So, so it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. You know, one of, the, one of the craziest things and one of the hardest things in life 
is we all do what I call bad math. And the bad math goes like this. Here's the, here's the incorrect formula that we all tell ourselves. God is as close to me as I feel his presence. And it's simply incorrect. God is with you constantly. And he never goes away. And that's the simplicity of it. And then sometimes things turn for the better, God willing, fast for all of us. And then we look back and we realize, oh, okay, for whatever reason I had to go through that. And then it kind of makes sense to us. You know, that's the kavana that I have, the, the thing that I have in mind when I shake the lulav, by the way. There are different ways of shaking the lulav, but nusach ashkenaz is that you, you, you go around in a circle and you say the passage, hodu l'ashem kitov kililam chazdo. You thank God for his goodness and that his kindness lasts forever. And as you say each one of these words, you're shaking the lulav in a different direction. And by Nusach Ashkenaz, the word tov, thank you, God, you say, thank, hodu l'ashem ki tov, you say, thank you, God, for your good, for you are good. When you, use, when you say the word good, you actually shake the lulav behind you. Now, the area behind you usually means your past. So, but a lot of times, we only see the goodness of our past in retrospect. Only when events unfold in a certain way, then we look behind us and we say, oh, that was for the good. But here's good math. If you're going to say that was for the good, then that, it was for the good while it was happening too. <laughs> Which means God didn't just show up now, God was also with you then. Which means God is with you now no matter what. So, so we have to take strength in that. We have to take strength in that. And uh, Shem should just, just reveal himself and, and we should experience really just all the sweetness. You know, when, uh, when, when we wish each other a good year, we don't say... Uh, you should have a good year. We always, we always say you uh, should have a, a good sweet year. And that's the whole idea of it, dipping the apple in the honey. So why do we say a sweet year? Because everything God does is good. But we want more than good. We want sweet. <laughs> sweet means that the goodness is openly revealed. <laughs> we don't have to search too hard for it. We want to be able to see it right away. So Hashem should bless us with sweetness, openly revealed good. And we should be able to serve Him with all of our heart and soul. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah.